Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. All right, well, I missed you all last week. I was in Montana most of the week and uh, had a really refreshing, restorative time. And I'll share more about my trip uh, probably next Sunday. I want to let you in on a little bit of what's happening with my doctoral program, which is why I was there, and how that impacts all of us here at the parish. But if I haven't met you yet, my name is Jordan, and uh, I'm one of our pastors here. And this is a morning I've been looking forward to. We've sort of been teasing this morning for like five months now, <laughs> uh, just slowly dropping that we have some plans for the community of the parish and some things we hope to do and some things we hope to enter into together. And, uh, and so I'm excited to share some of that with you this morning. Uh, let's get into it. I'm going to talk a little bit longer than I normally do. Uh, I've got a little bit more to say, so buckle up, bear with me, and we'll get through it. But what Rob just read comes at the end of Acts chapter 2. Uh, I want to rewind to the beginning of Acts chapter 2 for a moment, and what we find in the beginning of Acts chapter 2 is the day of Pentecost. Now, if you're following the church calendar, it is not the day of Pentecost yet. Morgan just said that's still two weeks from now. We're going to fast forward in the story just a little bit. Uh, it'll be a little bit of a spoiler alert, but uh, if you, yeah, perfect, you got it. Uh, so when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. All of them, all of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And at this sound, the crowd gathered. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? And so at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is given, and we have the birthday of the church. That's why we wear red. It's like a celebration. It's like a, a party of the tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit coming down, empowering the church for new life on the other side of the cross, the resurrection life of Jesus. And then this book of Acts carries out the story of how the early church then walked in that new power that they were given through the Holy Spirit. And uh, we'll get into all of that in the weeks ahead, but I want to linger on that question, like, what does this mean? Something happened that was profound, that was powerful, uh, in such a way that it caused others to go, what is this about? And, uh, and, and what emerges in the day of Pentecost is not an equation for effective evangelism. It's not a formula for church growth. It's not a formula for church life together. Instead, what emerges as we look at this is a way and a community. A way and a community. And the way births the community, and I think that's the answer to the question. What does this mean? What this means is God's doing a thing and invites human beings to follow in his way, and as we do, we are shaped into something bigger and, and more important than ourselves, right? And so uh, there's lots of fascinating things happening in the text here, but I want to draw our attention to the part that Rod read and just the most uh, simple elements of this, because sometimes I hear about the story of Pentecost, and I'm like, I don't know what to make of all of this. And then I want to just notice how very ordinary things get. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to the shared meals, and to the prayers. 
What we have here is loving God and neighbor in everyday life. It's just utterly simple. It's spontaneous and it's disciplined. It's supernatural and it's very ordinary. And notice uh, that what fuels and funds this new life that they have together is, is that they are devoted to it. The believers don't just do these things. They are devoted to these things. And I want to ask us what it might look like in our lives to be devoted to this new way and notice that the way they express their devotion is that they, they practice this over and over and over. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread at home. Day by day, the Lord added to those who were being saved. So this becomes a daily discipline that they walk, these intentional habits and rhythms and practices that over time begin to form a groove in the way they show up in the world, so much so that the early church was not called Christians. They were called the way, right? They walk in the way, And the way in time begins to form this whole community practiced over and over. And so, uh, the first thing we notice is that taking Jesus seriously is that Jesus is not just truth and he's not just life, he is way. And he is the way that invites us to follow him. And then we get to the practices themselves. And uh, I want to share with you these words from Gary Neal Hansen. He says this, uh, we see these practices of the apostles' teaching, the community, the shared meals, the prayers. He says, this is the earliest listing of what came to be called the marks or notes of the church. Characteristics beyond the confession of Jesus as Lord that identified the church as the church. And so what we have here is, uh, like, this is before the canon of scripture was closed. This is before the New Testament existed. This is before there was the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. And so other than saying Jesus is Lord, the other identifying feature of these people who walked in a way and therefore were becoming a community is that they committed and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to the shared meals, and to the prayers, right? And so church is not an event on Sunday. It's this right here, right? It's teaching, Teaching is the guardrails on this way. It keeps us from going off in any myriad of directions that we might be prone to go off. It's helping us keep steady and keep sturdy and keep growing and keep on track. And then prayers, they pray. But notice that it's not the prayer, it's the prayers, it's plural, right? And so the indication there is that there's something liturgical happening here. These were known prayers practiced and rehearsed by the community. These were the Psalms. This was the Lord's Prayer. They had ways of praying together that shaped them in the, in the way of Jesus. Now, if we look at the outer edge of my list here, teaching and prayers, it's easy to see those as spiritual activities. It's easy to see how those things might shape a community in the way of Jesus. But the middle two, they drag us into the center of everyday life, community and shared meals, It's just the most basic, ordinary things, community relationships that in time become marked by a startling unity and a radical generosity. I mean, this this passage is, is, is overwhelming. They begin showing up to one another in different ways. They start giving of themselves and giving of their stuff away. And then they break bread, and there's a dual meaning there. It's both the breaking of bread, the Eucharist, and it's just having a meal together. It's just that Jesus shows up when we pass the potatoes to each other and meet each other and begin to share of our lives together. And so this is worship, and this is friendship, and this is food, and this is sacrificial unity, and this is preaching and prayers and potlucks. And the good news here is, like, none of this is beyond us. Like, we can do all of that, right? Like, there's nothing here that, that I go, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to, how to make sense of all the biggest questions, and all the doubts in my heart, but like, I know how to share a meal with you. 
And, and the good news here is like in some meaningful way that the, the people are being shaped deeply in the way of Jesus by doing these ordinary practices, practice daily, practice deeply. This is radically transformative as any miracle or supernatural event that we can imagine. And so look at this list. Uh, this comes from Susan B. Johnson. She notes that in six verses, this is what happens when you start following this way. It changes where people live, changes how they understand property ownership, changes their sense of communal obligation in response to crisis, changes their understanding of a meal, what the meal is about, what its purpose is, what its implications are. It changes how they relate to others and to the other, right? And so in all of these radical ways, people are being transformed. This is a way that becomes both an inner journey, my formation into the image of Jesus, and then an outer journey, the way all of us together show up as a community for the sake of others. This is a way that radically impacts our relationship with money, with the economy, with politics, with faith, with friends, with neighbors, with enemies. I mean, this is holistic, right? It's going to change our communion with Jesus and our community with each other and our commission to the wider world. This gets into the blood of everything if we follow this way deeply. And so the Jesus way makes the Jesus community. The Jesus way makes the Jesus community, and it births something bigger, and a new people now begin to exist, and they're marked by prayer and hospitality and generosity and compassion. Check this out from Matt Skinner. He says, Acts 2 describes a community of faith that operates in the power of God's spirit. These are not the accomplishments of extraordinary folk, right? Isn't that interesting? Because I don't feel extraordinary most days. I just feel pretty ordinary. But that's not what this is about. This is the sign of God's spirit working in a community of people who understand themselves as united in purpose and identity rather than being a dispersed collection of individual churchgoers. Friends, in our world today, a lot of times what happens in the American church is that we end up becoming a dispersed collection of individual churchgoers, right? And I have my relationship with Jesus and my worship experience, but it never goes beyond that. And so there's something here happening of what happens when we get beyond that. We become the Jesus community operator in the Jesus way. Okay, so now, that's the early church. I want a high-speed fast-forward from the early church to this church, <laughs> to the parish. We'll skip over a lot of church history. And by the way, we're going to come back to church history in two weeks and, and talk about how that shows up in some of this stuff. But for now, let's get to this community, the story of our church. Some of you have been around here longer than I have. <laughs> Thanks for hanging around. <laughs> uh, some of you are new to our community. Um, and it's important that we steward our story together because we're not just an individual dispersed collection of churchgoers. We are a people of God, and there's a story happening here at the parish. And so we got to remember our story, and as we move into a new chapter, I want to remember the chapter that came before. Uh, I was thinking about what to title the chapter that came before, the last three years of the parish. Here's my title. You ready? Homeless and Leaderless in a Pandemic. <laughs> uh, uh, and that chapter plays out about as you'd imagine with that title, right? I mean, in a, in a span of two months, like our founding pastor resigned, and then we were told that our building was going to be demolished, and then we entered into the time of pandemic, and the very fact that we're sitting in this room right now is an Acts chapter 2 kind of miracle, right? Because uh, like any one of those things could have taken a community like this out, but, but I think what that shows is we're not just an individual collection of dispersed churchgoers. There's something bigger. There's something broader. There's something at the heart of all of this. 
And so um, we made it through together. We're still here. What a grace. That has nothing to do with any one of us. It has to do with God and us, right, that we're still here. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but it was tough. It was a challenge. And, and during the time, especially during the pandemic, like often I would have, probably once a week, I'd have a conversation with somebody being like, what's our vision? Where, where are we going? And, and I get it, because we were all wandering, and anything that gives us any sense of purpose in a time like that feels like a good thing. Um, but, but as we were thinking about what's our vision, like honestly, what I started thinking is like, my vision is to see if there's anybody under the rubble of all of this. Like, I'm just wondering, like, like, what things are buried in the midst of all of this, right? And it's not time yet when you're still laying a foundation to worry about what are we going to build on the second or third or fourth floor. We just weren't there yet. We're just trying to stay alive. But that was then. And we're coming out of that season. And, uh, and as we come out of that season, I, I've been excited to begin thinking about, like, what do we do to begin dreaming again? It feels like after all that exodus, we inhabit this new promised land to share life together. And the rubble is cleared, and the foundation is strong, and we can begin to look upward and say, God, what are you building here? What are you building here? And so about eight months ago, myself uh, and Morgan, who leads our community efforts, and then eventually the wider staff, and then eventually the vestry, we started talking about this. We started asking some questions for discernment. Uh, here they are. Moving forward, how can we be as faithful as possible to Christ and what it means to be church? Um, these weren't exactly the questions, I'm, but these were the rough sense of the conversation. And then what gaps exist between our modern expression of church and the historic witness of Christian community? And what do we all need and hunger for? in this new season. And the last one's pretty easy to answer, right? Uh, because on the other side of COVID, it's like we all just are hungry for community on the other side of isolation and loneliness. We're all hungry for unity on the other side of a lot of divisiveness and injustice. We're all hungry for broader purpose on the other side of needing to hunker down in our own bedrooms for an extended period of time. And so as I sit back and evaluate all the things that came out of our discernment process, here's the themes that seem to emerge for me. The first is meaningful community. Meaningful community. The question I am most asked and first asked when people come to our church is, how do I get connected? Uh, how do I join a small group? Um, how do I meet others? And I appreciate that you all want to know, how did you plan that sermon, Jordan? And tell me more about your... No, you all just want to get to know others, right? Uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, but I get it, right? We're all hungry for community. And, and to push back against the isolation and the division, but to do so requires unity and a renewal of relational trust in the places where all of us have been wounded. Uh, meaningful community. And then faithful presence. We spend a lot of time here at the parish on the inner journey, what I call the inner journey, Right? my own heart and life and soul being reshaped into the image of Christ. But that is always for the sake of others. And so rightly understood, the inner journey of spiritual formation pushes us on an outer journey to change how we show up to the wider world, that we might not only love God, but love our neighbors as an expression of our love for God. And so the question comes, like, how do we begin redemptively influencing our wider community with love? Uh, what for the parish does hospitality and outreach and neighboring and justice and compassion and mission look like? How do we do those things in a parish kind of way with the DNA of our church? And then deeper formation. Um, this is something that animates my heart for the church. Uh, I think the largest crisis in the American church is a watered-down understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. 
<laughs> I'm so glad you're here. I'm going to say it again. The largest crisis is a watered-down following of Jesus, uh, following Jesus, what it means to follow Jesus. And, uh, and so we invest a lot in that, and we want to go deeper still. There is no one at any time who is all the way formed into the image of Jesus. We all have a next step to take. And a lot of times we get stuck at our level of discipleship. And then we can stay stuck there a long time. Like, you can be a Christian growing for 20 years, or you can be like a one-year-old Christian 20 separate times, right? And I think we've all experienced parts of that. I know I have, where I get stuck, and the question comes, how do I take next steps in following Jesus? And if, and this is my theory, I think that a church service alone is not sufficient to help us take next steps, and I think if we are honest, we all know that, because a lot of us have come to a lot of church services, and they're good, and they're meaningful, but on their own, they don't help us take the next steps of following Jesus. And so if we desire deeper transformation, we have to be willing to do some different things, lest we fall into the definition of insanity that we all know so well, right? Where we think something's gonna change by doing the same things over and over. Um, Okay, deeper formation, and then healthy leadership. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but our community's growing. That's one of the great joys of this season. Um, it's, it's been so fun to have new families and, and new friends getting involved, people of all different generations and backgrounds joining our church community. And, uh, and, and that's not ever the goal here. We're not out to grow a church numerically, what we're out to do is follow Jesus faithfully. But if people are coming, that's a wonderful thing. And, uh, and so the question, though, becomes, as more and more people come, we don't want to lose sight of what it looks like to care well and be present to one another, and yet I can only go so far, and our staff can only grow so far, and so what does it look like in order to make this sustainable and scalable for us to empower a whole body of Christ, a whole community of healers to function in their gifts? rather than relying on the staff alone. And so as I read Acts 2, uh, I see a, a paradigm, right? We can match these things. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers, they align very well to our desires and our hungers in this season. And so the question becomes, how do we wrap our arms around this practically? And if we go way back to the beginning of the semester, we talked about building a big enough table for all that we see in Jesus. And this is a perfect example of where sometimes a, a church, a given church, will get really zeroed in on one part of following Jesus and lose sight of the rest. And so there are churches that are really all about the apostles' teaching, and you've got a charismatic preacher, or you've got some, some, uh, some hyper-focus on doctrine or dogmas or apostolic succession or the creeds. And then there are others that focus on fellowship, where relationships can be in center stage, and it's all about small groups and family life together. Some hear of the breaking of bread, and they gather their whole church around the Eucharist and the liturgy and the sacraments. And then there are others who form their whole church around Sunday school or approaches to prayer or formation or discipleship. And then more recently, there are segments of the American church that have rediscovered, rightly so, the call of the church to go outside for others, to incarnate, to be missional for the sake of others. All of it is in Acts chapter 2. All of it matters. And what we want to do is say yes to all of it. Yeah. Like, build a church that's broad enough for all of it. And so, uh, to do that, to say yes to all we see in Jesus, we have to do some different things. Now, one of the things I notice in Acts chapter 2 
is that it seems to work out best in various contexts, right? You see contexts where when they all gather together in the temple, some really meaningful things happen. And then you see them all breaking into different places, into homes and sharing meals together. Meaningful things happen. I mean, if you look at it right here, they followed a daily discipline. Worship in the temple followed by meals at home. And so sometimes the community is around just other fellow Christians. And sometimes the community is around not yet Christians. And, and sometimes they're all together. And sometimes they're split apart. And so we need context for all of it. When the day of Pentecost happens, where were they gathered? If you recall, they were gathered in a house. They were gathered in a house. And so, uh, we need a big enough table, or uh, to swap the metaphor, we need a big enough pool. Um, <laughs> so I've been thinking about pools a lot lately. Morgan and I have talked a lot about pools over the last uh, six months. And, uh, and the pool, you know, you can enter into the pool on those stairs at the top there, and that's the shallow end of the pool. Uh, it's not shallow in the sense of being, uh, you know, spiritually shallow, but, but I think as we gather as a church on Sunday mornings, we're in the shallow end together. And what I mean by that is it's like all of us, the party's happening, some people are throwing beach balls over there, and some people have drinks with umbrellas in them over here, and we're all together, and it's fun, and the music's going, and that's beautiful, and that's good. And there are deeper waters still, and there are other waters still. And I want to know who I call when my world falls apart. And I want to know, like, what do I do when, when I'm having a crisis of faith or a crisis of life or a crisis of friendship or a crisis of, of family? I need, I need waters that help me flow into those things as well. And so what about the middle and the deep end? Um, one of the questions that immediately comes up is, like, maybe we just need to zero in on small groups. Uh, and I just got to say, uh, some of us... Uh, have experienced this. I have had amazing small group experiences, like amazing. And I've had some small group experiences where I would rather chew my own arm off than stay in that room any longer, right? Like it's like the Wild West in small groups, right? Because some of us are coming to study the Bible and some of us are coming because we need a best friend and some of us are coming because we really like football and we want others to watch football with. And, and all these different expectations lead to a lot of disappointment, a lot of resentment. And so I was like, if y'all want to start a small group, you go for it. Uh, I, I, I'm serious. Like we will bless it. We will encourage it. We will spread the news about it. But I don't want to just do small groups. I'm looking for something with more cohesion and more cadence and more uh, consistency uh, beneath it. So I've set this up a long time. Here's the headline of, of all that I'm getting to, and then I'll give some why. We're going to make a shift as a church in light of all of this. And beginning in August, what we're going to begin doing is worshiping here the first three Sundays of the month. And then as we move into the fourth Sunday of the month, we're going to worship in smaller house churches. We're going to break into house churches five across this area at least, and about 30 people or so will come together in smaller contexts because we want to say yes to all of it. We want to say yes to all of it. Uh, and we'll gather at the usual time of second service where we already have space uh, in our calendars set aside. Now, some of you were with us during the pandemic where we did house churches, and you might be going, is this the same thing as that? No. We don't want to go back to the time of the pandemic. Um, the goal there was different. We were trying to replicate church in a time where it was not safe to all meet together. This will have some similar elements, but it's not the same thing. Um, and so this will be simpler. It'll be more communal. It'll be less programmed. Um, let me begin to try to paint a picture of what we imagine here. First of all, we imagine, uh, like I said, fourth Sundays of the month, it'll be at 10.30 a.m., roughly 30 people, that includes kids, 
We got five different locations geographically spread out across the area. We'll gather inside or we'll gather outside. We'll share about 30 minutes of brief liturgy, scripture, prayer practices. I imagine prayers of the people where it's not just, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. That's great. That's meaningful. We need that. But it's also, how can I pray for you? Where do you need prayer? And then we do it. <laughs> like we actually take time to pray together. Right? I imagine Lexio Divina and examine and contemplative prayer. I imagine our kids teaching us things that we adults have long forgotten. I imagine singles and our, uh, our elders and families and a multi-generational infants and teenagers and kids and, and, and everybody coming together uh, in the same space. Um, and then afterwards, uh, at the end of the gathering, we'll share the Eucharist together. We'll share communion together. And then we'll share a meal together. Just simple potluck, often, right? Maybe not every time. We'll have to figure that out. But often, we'll share a meal together where everybody just brings what they can, and we sit and we talk together. And why a meal? Because Jesus shows up around meals. He's always showing up around meals. And eating is a universally understood activity. Uh, you don't have to know any religious rules to eat, right? My hope would be that a neighbor says, what's up with all the cars parked around your house? And they come in and they eat a meal. Um, and Jesus has a way of showing up in those conversations. And so a meal's a thin space. It connects heaven to earth in a really interesting way. Um, okay, uh, and then each house church will also discern together a way of being present to our neighbors in a wider community. Uh, we have struggled with figuring out how do we care well for our neighbors in a way that is not just us trying to check a box of doing good things that make us feel better about ourselves. Like, how do we really discern what is the heartbeat of God? And it feels to me that that is more organic and more honestly done when it's smaller and hyper-local because I might know the needs of that particular neighborhood better than I know the needs of Metro Atlanta or North Fulton County or Forsyth County Cherokee County, et cetera. And so each house church will do some discernment work together. How do we in this group show up to some meaningful need in our community, and how do we be the church in that place, right? And then each house church will make a commitment to do that for the next year. Uh, and so this is how we'll flow together for the sake of others as well. Uh, house churches will be led by you, uh, by lay people, no staff leading this, uh, because I have never been a part of a church with more gifted people. And I know every church is the body of Christ and there are meaningful gifts at play, but like, y'all don't know the people in this community. And one of the things that's hard on a Sunday morning is like, there's just only so many roles to go around when we do these kind of big events. But I want, I want you all leading in this as well. I think that's what it means to be a body of Christ. Um, and we are formed as we lead often. And so, yeah, house churches move us to the middle of the pool, and they provide a practical container to facilitate deep relationships, and kids connect and play. We help serve in ways beyond ourselves, and we provide space for others to meaningfully lead and minister, and why do we do it? Because of the teaching, the prayers, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, because they would sell their possessions and distribute the proceeds to any who had need. This is what it means to be the church, okay? Let me go through some questions. I know I'm talking a long time. We'll go through some quick questions and then we'll start to wind this down. Where will house churches meet? We imagine five different locations, one in Johns Creek, one in Roswell, one in Central Alpharetta. We imagine the one in Central Alpharetta will be adults only, so four will be family style and kids will participate. 
um, and I'll get to more on kids in a second, but one will be adult only, just with a little bit of quieter space for those who prefer that kind of context. Um, one, where did I leave off? Roswell, Johns Creek, Alpharetta, Milton, and Forsyth. Um, and some of these locations are already determined. Others, we're still looking for hosts. So if you sit here and you go, yeah, this is my jam, and I've got a, a house, and I'm willing to open it, oh, let's talk. Let's talk about that. Um, and uh, let's see, will I be assigned? Those who I've talked to about this, just casually as it's come up over meals, the first question they ask is like, am I gonna be assigned to a house church? The answer is no. You get to decide and discern where the right fit is for you. And so we imagine most will go to something geographically near, but perhaps you have a relationship over there or you just really feel like you're connecting over here. Well, that's great. Uh, we don't want to manufacture this. What we hope is that the Holy Spirit will assign this. The Holy Spirit will put people in the right places um, as, they, as, they, as you find a place. And so try out a few. You might spend the first few months trying out a few. But then once you find one, I want to ask you to make a commitment to it. Because these are going to be the easiest way to build deep relationship connection. This is, my hope is that these become your people over time. We've seen that in our church story people who meet together in these kind of contexts who become each other's people over time. Uh, what about kids? Okay, so kids will participate in areas of each host's home. Uh, there will be areas that are kids safe, and there will be areas that are off limits, right? So those of you who are hosting don't have to worry about kids running through the master bedroom or whatever. Um, but we wanna make sure that there's space for kids, but there will not be childcare at the family style ones. Think of this as a glorified family Sunday. And it's because our, our kids are a meaningful part of the body of Christ. And so we want them to play. We want them to have fun. Um, and, uh, and that'll be a, an important part about this. We wrestled with, should we do this at another time? We wrestled quite a bit about that. Should this be a Tuesday night or a Friday night? But I think all of us have enough in a, on our calendars. And what we have on Sunday mornings is a locked-in time, locked out for community life together. And so it's important enough to us that we wanted to fill that time with something different. Um, okay, here's my favorite question. Will this be messy and a bit awkward and possibly hurtful at times? <laughs> yep, it will. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely is the answer. Uh, and, and what good thing in life is there that is not? Right? I mean, I, Seriously. Nothing good comes in our life that is not messy and a bit awkward and possibly hurtful at times. And so uh, we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks, but this is the reason that for the last four months, over and over, we've talked about community and conflict and forgiveness and reconciliation and kintsugi and becoming an emotionally healthy, spiritual kind of community and who is my neighbor. We've been laying the groundwork intentionally for months to try to help us show up well to this. And there's vulnerability here. Um, and we'll talk more about it, but I just want to say for now that what makes a community safe is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of repair. Do we know how to repair? Because there will be pain. And I think one of the reasons why historically the American church does these kind of contexts only is because it gets too messy when we start to not do that. Let's embrace that mess. Let's trust that God can be at work in that mess. Um, Okay, is this something everyone should be a part of? Uh, well, I mean, it's a free country, right? Like, you can, <laughs> you can decide. Um, <laughs> but I want to say this. Few of us are here four Sundays out of the month, 
right? So if you're sitting here and you're like, this is the worst idea ever, I hate this, then just skip that Sunday of the month, right? And, and then come the other three, it'll be the same as you've been doing anyway. Uh, and now that I've said that you should do that, I wanna say this, please don't do that. Um, don't do that. Because I would actually encourage you to skip a different week instead and come to this. This is so important that we want to stop doing this as important as this is. This is important, right? What we do here on Sundays matters deeply. I've given my whole life to it. And it's so important that we do something else too that we're going to stop doing this once a month so we can do that instead, right? And so I want to encourage you to risk it. I want to encourage you to, uh, if, if this isn't your thing, Try it anyway. All of us will prefer, as we've talked amongst the staff in the vestry, some are like, I just want to worship at the Kalen Center four times a month. And others are like, I just want to worship in house churches four times a month and forget the Kalen Center entirely. Right? All of us will have preferences. It's okay. We all do well to do both anyway. Because I need my preferences uh, honored in church community and I need my shadow sides challenged and, and strengthened as well. Um, we, we need that to have a healthy spirituality. This is not about my preferences and my personal taste. So I'm going to ask you not to opt out of this and to give it a year and just see what God does in a year of gathering with others around a meal because I think you're going to go, I'm so glad I did this. Um, okay, last thing and then we're done. Is this really church? Um, <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that more in a few weeks. It's an important question theologically. It's an important question perhaps even more so emotionally because this does matter. This space matters. And I want to name that there's some pain in letting go of that. And I want to say this. We are not doing this just to mix things up. We're not doing this just to be creative or just to be contrarian or just to be novel. We are doing this because we hope to recover something about the historic church that has been lost in most American church contexts. We want to become the bride made ready for Christ, and so we want to wrap our arms around the whole thing. Uh, How do we reclaim both the temple and the home as the place that we gather, so to speak? Uh, And I want to say this. This is in the bones of the historic church, but it's also in the bones of this church. Uh, One of the things I do sometimes when I'm procrastinating is go onto our Dropbox folder and read stuff from like, you know, seven years ago. And if you go way, 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 way back, 2014, (laughs) ages ago, when our church was formed, you'll find documents that say things like, we hope the parish will be a sequence of smaller gatherings scattered around the larger North Fulton area. But this has been in the heartbeat of our church from the beginning, and it's just taken us a while to be able to, uh, to get there. But we've imagined little neighborhood parishes. That's why it's called the parish. Small little churches uh, gathered around. And so we want to keep leaning into that. If you're sitting here and you go, hey, I want to be a part of this. This is my thing. Here's what we're looking for. Here's ways to get involved. We are looking for some hosts in various areas. Um, it's a big ask, right? Once a month to open your house to 30 people is a big ask. Um, but it's also an ask that I think some of you will go, oh, yeah, this is my thing. So if so, let me know. Uh, you don't have to have a perfect house. You don't have to have a huge house. You can just, all you need is uh, space to park some cars and a big enough living room for people to gather. You don't need chairs for everybody. Talk with me, talk with Morgan about that. And then we're looking for pastors for each of these. 
right? And I mean that in the, the most scriptural sense you can imagine, spiritual shepherds who own the care and the well-being of a particular community in the, in the way of Jesus. And then we're looking, each house church will have an outreach or a for-the-sake-of-others facilitator who says, it's my job to guide us in the discernment of how we show up to our neighbors and is, is going to own that role. And then we're going to have roles for spiritual direction, for listening to the work of God in each other's lives, for prayer. Um, and so if you're interested in any of that, talk with me, talk with Morgan. And extra credit for those of you asking the last question, which is what about the deep end of the pool? If house churches are the middle end of the pool, what about the deep end of the pool? And my answer for that is good question, I'll get back to you. Um, we're working on that. We have lots of thoughts about that. And I imagine a place where we are listening to the Holy Spirit with each other kind of a group spiritual direction and space to be deeply vulnerable and deeply formed. Uh, but we got to swim to the middle of the pool before we can swim to the deep end. And so there's more to come on that. I'll end our time with just sharing with you an image from this last week. Most of you know the reason I was in Montana is I'm doing doctoral work. And uh, we're studying the work of Eugene Peterson, who was a pastor in Montana and Maryland and New York. And uh, he wrote The Message, which is a version of the Bible that we regularly read here at the parish. And uh, I got to spend some time in his home. He has passed away now, but I got to spend some time in his home this last week. And uh, on one of the walls in his home was this picture, and it's just some calligraphy of the way he translated Romans 12. And this is my hope for our community as we enter this new season, that we might take our ordinary, everyday life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. That's the Acts 2 way that forms the Acts 2 Jesus community. Let's pray. Christ Jesus, would you help us? Would you help us to risk relationship? Um, yeah, I know for me it's it's hard sometimes, and, and sometimes there are voices that say, I don't belong. And even this week, around 20 others who I'm getting to know, those voices saying, you don't belong, and then other voices saying, no, you do belong. Go for it, you know, push in. Help us to trust you as we get into these kind of contexts when those voices come, that we might be surrounded by a community of Christ followers and share life together. In Jesus' name.